So the story goes like this. It was October uh, 16th, 1982. It was 41 years ago this last uh, Monday. There was a, what seemed probably to most people like a meaningless college football game being played at the University of Wisconsin. It was Wisconsin uh, versus Michigan State. And for a fair amount of the game, uh, Wisconsin was hosting the game with 80,000 fans there in the stands. Uh, were kind of just depressed, and it wasn't going their way, and it wasn't going well, and it was just like, ah, whatever. Uh, but this weird thing started to happen in the second half. They started to hear these loud cheers, and it wasn't because anything was going on in the game that would suggest they should have heard loud cheers. There was no touchdowns being scored. There was no sack happening. There was no, you know, the stuff you and I cheer for in a football game. It was just kind of the mundane parts of the game. They were just like huddled up, and suddenly 80,000 strong would just be cheering all together and the Wisconsin players and coaches were totally weirded out by this, like, what is happening, right? And the, the uh, Michigan State players and coaches were weirded out by this, like, oh my word, what is happening? I have no idea what's going on around here. But it was just the craziest thing and it happened multiple times. What they didn't know, that 80 miles away in Milwaukee, the Brewers were hosting and now beating my St. Louis Cardinals in game four of the World Series. <laughs> And, and the fans are there watching the game, and the, the, the players are there like, what is going on? Like, so, like, we're, we're being defeated here. Why are you guys cheering? What they didn't know was during that game, they, all the Wisconsin like, fans were there in attendance with their transistor radios. And so they're listening to the Brewers game. I would say the Cardinals game. They're listening to the Brewers game. And the Brewers had just taken a lead, and there's like, you know, big runs scored, big hits happening. So they're all cheering at, at, at those times. And the players and the coaches in the field didn't realize what was going on until late in the game when they posted the score on the scoreboard. And then they went, oh. So, like, it's this, the wildest thing. Can you just, can you imagine, can you imagine being one of those players, one of those coaches? You're like seeing imminent defeat. Things aren't going your way. Like, what you see right in front of you doesn't look good, but they're hearing if you're listening, if you're, if you're a spectator, you're hearing victory. You're seeing defeat. You're hearing victory. It's got to be just the wildest thing. So it begs the question today. I just want to ask it right off the bat. What are you tuning into? What are you tuning into in your life? Uh, so I'm just going to just put my cards on the table. My wife and I are in a tough Season. And I don't say that to you guys so that you know, you'll come up to me and give me your sympathy or anything like that. I just want to like just lay it out there. Like we're kind of wrecked right now, if I'm honest. There's been so many just terrible, terrible things go on around us. Like my family's well, my marriage is well. I don't want you to hear differently than that. But like they're just tough stuff going on around us. We we yesterday uh, had to uh, attend the funeral of her very, very dearest friend. I mean, this is her cousin, but they're more like twin sisters. I mean, they, they grew up together. Uh, they, they talk every day. I mean, it was a tough, tough, tough day. She had 30, I think, six or seven days from the time she was diagnosed with cancer to the time she died. And so her husband now has five little kids to raise without her. It's a tough deal. It is a tough deal. We've cried a lot of tears. My wife has cried so many tears. It's a tough tough deal. That's just one thing going on in our life. I'll give you a few more. Again, not because I'm looking for sympathy, just because I want to paint a picture of how bleak sometimes things look around us. Uh, I have a good friend, a good, a good godly uh, couple of friends of Tara and I's, uh, married couple, been married for quite some time. 
Um, and he just this past week uh, spent a couple nights in jail uh, for domestic battery. It's tough. Man, it is just tough, tough, tough stuff. I know somebody who recently spent every single dime their family had on a gambling addiction. And their wife never knew it until she couldn't buy a bottle of water. And then he spent thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands that they didn't have on his gambling addiction. I know somebody last week, I know uh, within the last couple of weeks at least, a good, 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 godly, one of the godliest people I've ever known. His wife just decided she was done being married and she moved out. Like, it is tough. There is so much hard stuff going on. And that's just in like my life. I'm sure you have stories in your own lives. I hope they're not that bad right now. <laughs> like, this is a tough season for us. I know it's, a, it's just a season, but it's a tough season of just stuff that's heavy. Uh, you know, if we broaden the scope just a little bit, we start looking at just like our community. I mean, have you seen, I'm not really a guy who watches the news. I don't really watch much news, but I caught this on the news this past week. We are up to a new record, which we shouldn't be proud of, but 32 homicides in Topeka this year. How great is that? What a record. It's tough. It's horrible. I mean, it's just horrible. I'm not proud of that. It's terrible. Like that's the community we live in. It's a tough place to be. Let's broaden the scope a little bit further, shall we? What about what's going on in the Middle East? I mean, you can imagine the broken heart of so, 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 so many people. My heart breaks, and I don't even know anybody personally connected to what's going on in Israel. But man, it is tough. Like, things around us, you can fill in the own, your own blanks for your own life. Things look bleak sometimes. Things look hopeless. But like at the Wisconsin game, like, things look tough, but they were tuned into something entirely differently. So I'm just, like, going to put... I'm just put it out there today. I'm just hoping that we can just tune into the truth of the gospel because things are tough. Things are hard. Things are difficult. And uh, forgive me, I don't, I don't mean to come up here and just lay out my own mess, but you know, that's the place I'm talking from today and I hope that's just gonna be okay. <laughs> that's, that's where we're at. We're gonna dive into uh, scripture today, uh, Matthew chapter 14. And you can turn there if you want. We'll put them on the screen also if you wanna check it out that way. But we're gonna be Matthew chapter 14. This comes right on the heels I mean, right after Jesus has just done this miracle where he fed all these thousands of people with just a little bit of fish and a little bit of bread. So you have to imagine that at this moment, as we jump into this story, that the disciples had to be totally jacked up, right? They had to be so excited, like their faith had to be at an all-time high. They've just seen their Lord do something unbelievable. So when, you, when we start this passage with the word immediately, now you know what immediately means. It's right after that. All right, so uh, I'm a little bit old school, and uh, I'm, I'm just going to request you, if you're up for it, will you stand for the reading of God's word if you can? If you can't, then being seated needs to be what you do. That's great. But I'm going to push us through this passage here, and we just stand in just honor of God's word this morning. That's where we're going to take this baby. Here we go. Uh, starting at verse uh, 22, chapter 14. Here we go. Immediately, again, right after the feeding of 5,000. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Verse 25, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. 
Come. He said, Then Peter got down from the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why do you doubt? When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. The word of the Lord. You can be seated. We might have uh, assumed, it doesn't seem like a big reach to me, a big stretch. We might have assumed that when Jesus came into the picture, when he came into the world, like, uh, you know, all this storm stuff would have just kind of stopped. Like, he had the power to do that. After all, God invented the planets. He invented the solar systems. He invented, like, like all the atmosphere and the wind and the rains and the pressure and all that stuff that creates the storms. And Jesus is God in the flesh, as we understand it, right? So why, like, it seems like not a great leap to suggest why didn't Jesus just stop that or pause it, maybe at least for his own comfort, or at very least, maybe send it somewhere else? Like, Jesus could have. I mean, I bet they believe he could have. They just saw him feed 5,000 people with a couple of pieces of fish and a couple of pieces of bread. Like, it seems like Jesus himself could have avoided the discomfort, like the inconvenience of himself facing the storm. But I want to make sure it's clear. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't do that. Like, he, he could have, but he do, didn't do it. And like lingering among, I think, so many questions that we have as Christians, but like one of the unspoken like questions and expectations maybe that I think a lot of Christ followers have, I've had these questions, is now that I belong to God, can't I avoid all the hard stuff? Like now that I'm God's, now that I've responded to this, can't I just avoid this really, really hard stuff? Like the storms will come, that's all. I get it, they're gonna have to come, but they'll come to somebody else now. And because I'm God's, they won't come to me. So like, I'll go help. I'll surely go like, be beside those people as they come, but, but they're not gonna come my way. So here's the deal. I think that crumbles pretty quickly though. I mean, we see it from Jesus himself in, in the book of John. In this world, you will have trouble. There's no bones about it. There's no doubt about it. He makes it very, very clear. Back to our passage. It was evening. It was barely uh, sundown. So it's probably like six o'clock-ish is what most people think. And the storm uh, struck immediately and these like typhoon-like winds just came blasting them, right? It doesn't even say it rained. It just says it's so windy. And like, of course, they're on the storm. I'm sure they're getting plenty wet. I'm sure there's water, you know, blowing in their faces. But just came blasting them. And even as Jesus was walking up the mountainside to pray, like he had to have experienced this storm too. It wasn't just to the water. Like it had to blast right up onto shore and where he was. So he wasn't oblivious to it, right? Like he was, he was there. He knew what was going on. He knew the storm that was like on him. He knew the storm that was coming to his guys out there in the boat. Like sometimes I think the storms we have in life are like our own doing. Like we create that disaster for ourselves from our own bad decision-making. But I want to make sure it's so, so, so clear. That is not what happened to the disciples this day. They were doing exactly as Jesus had instructed. He said, get in the boat and go. So they got in the boat and they went. They were just being obedient, right? So they, they did what they were told. Now, I did a little reading this week just to kind of understand. I don't understand well, so forgive me. I'm just going to read some of it. But the, the like storm system around the Mediterranean basin and how that must have affected them. So during the fall and winter months, this cold air pushes into the Mediterranean basin and it collides with the tropical air mass. And it creates these eddies of low pressure that funnel out of the ravines into the Galilean basin. And they cause these crazy, crazy, like fierce winds, like, 100, like, like over 100 miles per hour. 
Surely the disciples knew this. Like surely they understood this. Many of them, remember, were fishermen themselves before they gave up that life to come be with Christ. So surely they understood the, the ramifications of this. I imagine they had probably been to funerals of people who didn't survive these kinds of winds and these kinds of storms. Surely they understood fully what they were getting into. I bet they had some idea that maybe it's possible this could be their last night. This could be it for them. They could be toast as they get out on the water. They understood it entirely, but Jesus said to go, so they were good soldiers and they went. Now, some reference here. Uh, later that night, he uses the language, later that night, the boat was a considerable, it was already a considerable distance from the land. The Greek here is literally many stadia. A stadia is 600 feet. So many 600 feet, right? Many, they're a long ways from the land. They've, they've, they left at 6 p.m. Now, the, uh, the Sea of Galilee is about eight miles wide at its, at its widest point. They left at six. Experts suggest they should have been able to cross it in less than two hours. Bear with me here. They set out at 6 p.m. And then the shortly before dawn. Now, uh, in other translations, your translation, your Bible might actually say at fourth watch. Now, the Romans divided the period of 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. into four watches of three hours apiece. Let's keep in mind here. They left at 6 p.m. They're at fourth watch, which means they're somewhere in the window of 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. You following? They've been out there for hours. I mean, we're not talking a couple, they should have been out there a couple hours if the conditions were appropriate and right, but they've been out there now for pushing 12 hours, just fighting like crazy, this wind coming right at their faces. I think they deserve some credit. I think they deserve some credit. Like they didn't turn back, they persisted in their obedience to their Lord, but they were fighting a losing battle. I mean, it seems to me they were fighting a losing battle. The, the windstorm had left them too far from the land, too long in their struggle, and too small for the sea. Too small for those waves. So let's climb into the boat with them for a second. I'm, I'm an imaginative kind of guy. Let's climb into the boat. What, what do you think they're experiencing? Fear? Uh, doubt? Yeah, probably. I mean, certainly, right? I mean, this ain't looking good. And I have to imagine, it's not recorded in scripture, like we don't see it here, but I have to imagine, like if I'm there, I'm doing this and I'm kind of Peterish, I'm kind of antagonistic, right? I have to imagine somebody said, where's Jesus? The guy who just like did that miracle, like where in the world is Jesus? Like it's a question we ask today, right? I asked it a couple of weeks ago to my buddy who went to prison for couple days for domestic battery. Just a week before that, I had the question. I asked them the very same question that I imagine they asked then. Where is Jesus in all of this? And he said, oh, man, we haven't been to church in months. And I said, okay, fair. That's not what I asked. Where's Jesus in your marriage? Where's Jesus in the tough stuff? And in this story, we have a really clear answer. I mean, it tells us. It tells us exactly what he was doing. Verse 23, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. There's no indication he was doing anything else. Doesn't mean he wasn't, but there's no indication here he was doing anything else. Doesn't say he was eating or chatting. He wasn't sleeping. He wasn't talking with anybody. He was there to pray. And he too was in the storm, right? The winds were hitting him too. Had to have. But still he prayed, or, or should we say, or so he prayed. 
A couple questions I think are just interesting to, to ponder here. Was the storm the reason for his intercession? Do the disciples represent all of his followers? Does the storm represent all tough times? Here's one. Do his actions describe his first course of action? To pray for his followers. This is the promise you and I have when we face tough times. I love this so much. Here you go. Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for you. Romans 8, 34. He's at the right hand of God and he's interceding for us. Now the word intercede is interesting, right? We don't use that too much. But it carries with it a really specific meaning of like someone who is making a petition on someone else's behalf. So biblically speaking, it's someone making a very specific petition to God, a request or a petition to God on someone else's behalf. So don't miss this, all right? This isn't the point of today, but I think this is a good point to stop and hang on to for just a second. If that's all you get today, I'll feel totally satisfied and totally happy with it. Right now, the king of the universe is praying for you. Right now. Right now, he's calling out to the heavenly father on your behalf. He's urging the help of the Holy Spirit in your unique circumstances. The great high priest is on your side right now. At this very, very moment, Jesus is in God's presence and he's offering intercession on your behalf. That's a pretty sweet deal. Now, the same account uh, shows up in the book of Mark, and the Gospels are that way, like these people recounting these deals, and they wrote them down, they, they, they told these stories, and same as if you and I told a story of the same thing we were at, we'd offer different details, we'd offer different... So this was, in the book of Mark, I, I looked at it over there, too, there's something that's mentioned in the book of Mark, and I don't need you to turn over there, I'm going to go there for just a second, we'll be right back in the map here in just a second, but I... I got over there and was reading it too just to see whatever kind of differences there were. And there's something that kind of caught me. So here it is. Here's the book of Mark, chapter 6, verse 48. Same story, sounds largely the same, but here's what it says. Largely, or excuse me, shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake, and he was about to pass by them. It's interesting. Right before it, in the same passage here in Mark, it talks about how Jesus saw them struggling with their oars. <laughs> and he was about to pass by them. And that, that was a head scratcher for me. It really challenged the way I think about God and who God is. So I dug in a little bit deeper. I started digging out other translations of Scripture, and I grabbed the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, which is a more literal translation because I wanted to know more. That, that caught my attention, and I just had to know more. And here's what it says same passage. He came to them walking on the sea, and he intended to pass by them. He intended to pass by them. Jesus was just going to sort of just go right on by. I don't know where he was going. Like, Scripture doesn't tell us where he was going, what, how he what, any of that. But it says he intended to pass right on by. Hey, guys, I told you you'd make it. You're good. You guys just keep going. You'll get there eventually. You're only 10 hours in or whatever, right? Like, you got this. Okay, good. All right, good job, fellas. Good work. And then something gets his attention. And something gets Jesus' attention right then and there. I'm going to head back over to Matthew. Here's our passage again in Matthew. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out. 
and fear. Jesus intended to walk right on by, but then he stopped, like something stopped him in his tracks. Probably no tracks, he was on water. I think this illustrates not just like a picture for us in this passage. We see this all through scripture. We see it with old prophets. We see it in Psalms. You see, you read Psalm beginning to end, like all the Psalms, you see this over and over, this idea of calling out to God, of crying out to God. I love Psalms. I'll probably do a series at some point on Psalms, but it's going to need more than one morning. So, uh, you know, it just gives us this beautiful, beautiful language to just reach out to God in our despair and to communicate with God, the intimacy we share with God to say, where are you, Jesus? Where are you, Lord? So read, read Psalms. You want to catch more of this stuff, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just take you to two passages real quick, and just, I'm just going to show you these two. In fact, we heard one just a bit ago. Jake just read it. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, Right? Here's Psalm uh, 130, 1 and 2. Out of the depths, I cry out to you. I cry to you. Lord, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. In Romans 10, 13, this is a verse that's repeated multiple times in the scripture. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved over and over and over again in Scripture. We see this idea of calling on the Lord or crying out to the Lord. In Exodus, oh my word, I just started reading through Exodus this week just seeing, I, I lost count. But like they just cry out and cry out and cry out and call out and call out because of the despair they're in with the slavery they're under from the Egyptians. It's probably not unlike what the people of Israel are doing right now. So the disciples, they're in this boat, and man, they're struggling. The wind is just beating them to smithereens. And I, listen, I don't even know what a smithereen is. I think it's probably the same way the 49ers beat the Cowboys two weeks ago. <sighs> hey, 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 hey. This isn't a two-way conversation, pal. <laughs> so they're out on the boat, and they're getting blown all over, the same way we get blown all over, right? But we have this biblical mandate. I don't want to miss it. We have a biblical mandate in our trouble to cry out to God. Because according to this passage, in ways that don't make a ton of sense to me, but I have to believe it because it's here, at least according to this passage, it's at least possible that God could just pass you by if you don't learn to cry out. It's possible that he would just kind of just keep moving right on by if we can't learn to humble ourselves and cry out for help. And I get it. Well, I mean, I get it. I live here a lot. I get, we go, well, I'm good. Ah, I mean, it's a little hard right now. It's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. It's not fine, right? Like, it's tough. But we, we say, ah, I mean, I know I haven't talked to that family member in years, but yeah, yeah, we will again. We'll get it fixed at some point. I, I mean, I haven't, I haven't slept in the same bed as my wife for six months, but our marriage is going to be okay. It's going to be. Like, why not cry out? Why not Cry out, and I love this, I love this, I love this. Here's what we see. Jesus is diverted by the desperation of his disciples. He was just gonna go right on by. And it's at least possible. 
it's the least possible that God wants to work something out for you, but he's waiting for you to cry out first. This calling on the name of the Lord thing, like we see it all over scripture. I just want to make sure we're, we're really clear. I'm going to, like, we don't live depraved anymore through the finished work of Christ on the cross. We have victory. We don't live depraved, but it, we still face really, really hard stuff. We still need Jesus to work in us and through us and around us and to move on our behalf. Like this crying out to God, this calling out to God as you and I positioning ourselves with such desperation that we need him for our next breath. We certainly need him to take care of that big old thing. And what happens is we, we, our needs are so substantial, like we're asking for this amazingly humongous thing, but in some weird, strange way, like we ask it in the most cavalier, like nonchalant ways, like we're just making it nothing. So they call out in fear, but they call out uh, to Jesus and I love his response. He just assures them right away, hey, um, it's me, yep. It's me, I'm right, I'm right here, everything is okay. Hey, don't be afraid. Have courage, it's me, I'm right here. It's the same thing I've said to my kids so many times when they're little, right? Hey, daddy's right here. It's okay, buddy, you don't have to be afraid. I know, I know it's dark in here. You don't have to be afraid. This is the same thing Jesus says to them. And then I, <laughs> Peter's response, right? All right, oh, cool, if it's you, then call me out there, I'm coming. I mean, is that your prayer? That ain't my prayer. <laughs> Lord, if that's it, my, my prayer is, hey, I'm glad you're here, God. Hey, could you take care of this? Like, it'd be cool if the wind stopped. That'd be great. If you could stop it in uh, now, it would be awesome. Like, we are struggling out here. God, if, at very least, could you, I don't know, could you change the wind? Could you, could you just, like, I don't know, teleport us from here and put us on land? Like, you have the power to do anything you want. My, my prayers are rarely, God, hey, do something in me during all this. It's, hey, could you fix these circumstances? But, but Peter asks nothing of him except for, hey, would you call me out there? He doesn't say, would you change my situation? He doesn't say, would you change my circumstances? He just says, would you, would, you, would you call me out there? Just tell me to come. Like, teach me to respond to your voice. And perhaps our prayers should mimic that when we pray. I, I pray a lot of, Lord, would you fix this prayers? But maybe, maybe what we should be praying is, Lord, teach me. I mean, change, change me, do something in me, train me, show me how to respond obediently to your voice. Then verse 29, right after Jesus commanded him to come out on the water. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. I don't know, I was curious if maybe this is where the phrase caution to the wind came from. How cool must that have been? I mean, how cool must that have been? Peter steps on the water and he ain't sinking. He's just gliding. Oh, I don't know how many steps he got. I have no idea how far he got. It doesn't really specify, but he is doing it. I mean, the wind is just slamming at his face and he's just striding right across the water to Jesus. Verse 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. So he's going strong. And again, we don't really know for how long, but he was doing it until he realized that what he saw with his own two eyes was louder than what he heard when Jesus said, come. What he saw with his own two eyes had a bigger impression on what he was hearing in the voice of Jesus himself when he said, come. And he was doing it. I mean, he was doing it. And isn't it just <laughs> like us to do that? Things are going well. 
we're obedient. It's perhaps hard, but we're doing it. Like, this was hard, but they were exactly where Jesus asked them to be. Sidebar. Sometimes we think that when we're in the will of God, it's supposed to be easy with no resistance. I'm not sure that's the case. Sometimes Jesus needs to show you something right there. But like we're doing it, like spiritually we're doing it. We're reaching out to people, like we're, I don't know, we're waking up and we're doing our devotions. We're taking all these steps in our faith and we're growing closer to God and we're totally, totally doing it. Like, Harry, we're really doing it, aren't we, pal? Like, we're doing it. And then something happens and we're not on cloud nine anymore. We're not walking on water anymore. Like we see the storm and the storm feels to us like it's bigger than God's voice. So we get distracted, right? We slip and we, we fall. I was doing great. Man, I was doing awesome with that pornography addiction, but then I was, man, I was doing really well in that whatever, fill in the blank. I was, I was handling that situation really, really well. Like I'm free, I'm overcoming, and it feels amazing, but then we just get like slammed in the face with the waves, and this like wave of disobedience is just beating us up. In that moment, like you got two choices, I think. You got two choices. You can get totally wiped out, like the waves can win. You can get totally, totally wiped out, and like you're just basically spiritually cooked, right? You're toast. Or you do what Peter did. You cry out again. You cry out again. Lord, save me. Isn't it amazing? It always amazes me how many of us, like, we, we, we made our own spirituality, like, reliant on our own power. We were like, I want to overcome that sin. Like, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. I want to overcome that sin. But what it really ends up sounding like is, I want to overcome that sin. And we never really allow God to, to speak to it or to enter into it with a legitimate, like, God, hey, change me. Like, God, would you do something inside me? Teach me, show me, change me. Like, make me into this man that you are calling me to become here, Father. And Jesus, in his mercy, look at his response to Peter's cry. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and he caught him. And here's the climax of the passage. Here's the climax of, of the whole passage. I used to think that the passage was about like you know, Peter's faith, how good it was or how bad it was, the strength and the weaknesses of that. And it still plays a part in this. There's, there's still something to be said for that. But what I've come to realize is this passage actually just demonstrates the amazing, amazing, boundless grace of God. It's a story about a grace that's greater than all of our sin. But we have to learn to cry out. I believe there's nothing more honoring to our Heavenly Father than when his people take him at his word. It's not always easy. Again, these guys were in a tough spot, but they're exactly where Jesus wanted them to be. It's not always easy. We have to choose to be moved by what God is saying over what we're seeing. So I'll ask you one more time, what are you tuning into? I believe that Jesus is calling to you and I and speaking to us each and every day. I believe that he's calling to you with the same calming, reassuring voice that he called to Peter with. And he didn't, you know, Peter didn't just say, all right, good, I'm glad you're there, God. Hey, could you do this and this and this and this? No, God's not a vending machine. 
Peter reached out and Jesus said, yeah, I got this, come. So here's, here's three truths. That, I mean, I could, listen, we could have went through promise after promise after promise after promise in scripture and that, that's a worthwhile endeavor. But here's just three truths I just wanna leave you with today. If, if you're dealing with struggle, if you know people who are dealing with struggle, Jesus is praying for you. We already talked about it. The king of the universe is praying for you right now. And here's your cries. He's not far away. He's right there. He's near and he hears your cries. And I love this one. All authority and power are his forever. Forever. So what we see going on across this globe, it's discouraging, it's disturbing, it's a mess. But like, make no mistake about it. I don't, listen, God is still on his throne. He's not about to relinquish it. Even when it's hard. Disease and sin and sorrow and abuse and, and all these things, they don't, they don't get to win because Jesus wins. And this is fascinating. When he took the cross in our place, uh, in the last words he spoke were, it is finished. I always thought that just meant like, okay, well, he's finally done living. <laughs> it's over officially. Like, I tried and I tried and I tried and I came and I did all this stuff, but I guess it's done now. No, really, it is finished was really more about like this, this work that he came to accomplish had been completed and your debt was paid and my debt was paid. Like it was finished forever. He wins, so we win. We don't always look like, it doesn't always look like victory. Like it doesn't, it doesn't always feel like victory is imminent, but you should know that Wisconsin did win that game with 13 <laughs> seconds left in overtime on an interception of a two-point conversion. It was tight. I also take great pride in telling you that though the Cardinals lost that game, they did win the World Series in seven games that year. <laughs> There's, looks like defeat. You know, and, I mean, you know the Jesus part of this, right? Looked like defeat. Ain't no one there watching him on the cross thought that they were about to win. Looked like defeat, but three days later told a different story. We say these words at church, but I don't want to lose them today. The victory on your behalf has already been won. The victory on your behalf has already been won. So we can't be swayed by what we see. We are not moved by what we see. We are people of faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. But you have to tune in to the word of God. And sometimes you'll struggle, right? Like sometimes we will struggle. While you struggle, cry out. Cry out an intimate place to be with your father. Cry out because you know he wins and you can. All right, we're gonna get out of here. I'm gonna ask you to stand one more time here. If you would, uh, I'm gonna just read a doxology over you from the book of Jude as a blessing. And uh, again, I'm a little old school. I'm gonna ask you to do something a little uncomfortable maybe for some of us. And if you don't want to, I certainly can't force you to. Can you just do this for me if you're up for it? I just want you to stand like this with your palms up as we receive this truth over us, as we receive the word of God over us as we go today. Here we go. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages now and forever. Amen. God bless you guys.